Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Week six. Wow. You guys, it has flown by for me. Really flown by, and I'm excited about what what the Lord's teaching all of us. Let's jump into the scripture. We've been anchored into this one verse in Ephesians that's talking about the full armor of God, and we keep going back to that building on it each week. And so I want to read it again. We're going to start in verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, finally, remember Paul is writing and he's saying, hey, out of everything that I'm telling you, this is the culmination. This is the climax. This is the big deal, right? Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. It's not enough just to know about it. Amen? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, because we all know it does come, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand... Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. We talked about that being the idea that what you call truth, what you understand as truth has everything to do with the way all of the rest of the armor works. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, that our entire identity is found in what he did for us, not what we have done. Man, I'm grateful for that. And with your feet fitted, not with peace, but with what? Readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, feet that are always ready. In addition to all of this, take up. Now, I want to stop there because I'm not sure that I've unpacked this well in the past. All of the items that we listed up until now, the verb that's used is a continual verb. The idea that you're continually clothed in those things. But the next ones that we're going to read have this element of taking it on. Taking it on in that moment. And I think that's important to note here. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith. We talked about that shield of faith and how it's washed in the water of the word. And that's how you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, deliverance. Remember, deliverance in your thinking. And the sword of the spirit. Everybody say sword. Sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I got to tell you, Angie got a sword from me from her husband, and she warned me, though, she's like, this is a real sword. Now, you need to be careful. I mean, it's crazy sharp. So I told her to take it home, (laughs) because I am not graceful. I am many things, and graceful is not one of them. But I got to tell you, this is going to date me, but 
every time I read that, I think about, do, do any of you remember the movie Crocodile Dundee? Yes. Right? So every time I read that, in my head, it's that scene where he goes, oh, that's not a knife. This is a knife, right? And that's how I feel about the sword of the Spirit. And it's exciting because in this study, I received a revelation from the original language. Because my whole life, I had been taught that the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is the Scripture. And did you know that in the original language, that Word of God is not talking about Scripture. It's not talking about the written word. It's talking about the spoken word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken, right now, word of God. Now, you need to understand that that doesn't negate the power of the written word, because you need to know the written word. Because the written word will tell you whether you're actually hearing the spoken word of God or not. Because the spoken word will never contradict the written word. Ever. And here's another area that I need you to understand tonight. Is that scripture talks about the Holy Spirit reminding us, bringing things to our remembrance. And if you haven't read the word, how can he remind you of it? Last Tuesday, after service, and I won't say who it was, but after service, you know, we were praying with the different women, and we were in the lobby, and I was praying with a friend, and in that moment, praying with her, nothing had been said about this, but I, in my spirit, heard the Lord, I believe fully it was the Lord, speak to me the passage in Scripture that I'd read many times. And I looked at my friend and I said, friend, the Lord wants you to know that he sings over you. And in that moment, she started crying. And she said, you couldn't have possibly known that. The fact that my entire life, when I've prayed for people, it comes in songs. And the fact that the Lord showed you that to remind me that not only is that from him, but he does that over me. Well, what did that look like? The Holy Spirit just reminded me of the passage. Is it the written word? Yes. Is it the rhema word? Yes. You see how that works? Super important. I am not a woman that is super into cars. Do we have any women that are just, cars are your thing? Anybody out there? Awesome, awesome, I applaud you. Cars are not my thing. Um, shoes, maybe. But not cars. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's if it's reliable and if we can afford it and, um, you know, it's going to get me from here to there, then we're good. So with that, I drive a 2006 Subaru Tribeca, okay? Yes, thank you. Thank you. I love my car. Yeah. 
but it's, it's in that in-between stage. So it doesn't have an auxiliary cable, so you plug your phone in to hear music. It doesn't have that. But it also doesn't have the tape player anymore. So I can't just get that easy adapter where you just plug it in and it lines into the... Some of you don't even know what tapes are. I, I love it. I love it. So we're in that kind of in-between stage in my car. And so I had to do some research and I found an adapter that I plug into my... Um, I guess it used to be the lighter, but now it's the power source. <laughs> also aging myself. And so you plug it in, and it's a Bluetooth adapter that works with the radio. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I play my music from Spotify through my phone into my radio that way. And sometimes, if the radio station that I've chosen has other types of frequencies filtering in through it, then the music that I'm playing from my phone, which is right beside me, ends up not coming through very clearly. Have you ever experienced that? And so I've got the music, it's coming through clearly, and then all of a sudden it's NPR, you know. And I thought about that this week. The fact that every single one of you hears from the Lord, whether you're tuned into it or not, he's speaking over you. He's speaking to you. You wouldn't be here tonight if he wasn't. But he's speaking specifically rhema words to you. But some of you haven't yet learned to tune into him. And then some of us in this place have so many other frequencies speaking at the same time that we can't really hear him clearly. So if we understand that that spoken word of God is the sword of the spirit, it is one of two offensive weapons that the Lord gives us in this armor, then that's kind of a big deal. Don't you agree? So tonight, we're going to look at a battle. And in this battle, I believe we're going to gain three areas, three keys to helping us hear more clearly that rhema word of God. How many of you want to hear from the Lord? I really want to hear from the Lord. It's a big deal. So I have three keys that are all found in this battle. They're found throughout scripture. We're gonna unpack some stuff. I've got so much scripture for you tonight. I need you to take notes, go back and read this stuff. We're gonna get into some meat. Are you ready? The very first key to hearing the rhema, voice, word of God is repentance. Turning our hearts over to God. And this is not a one-time thing. Continual repentance. So tonight we're going to look at a battle that takes place in 2 Chronicles 20. But I want to start in 2 Chronicles 19 because I want to set up the situation. Jehoshaphat is leading Judah, a tribe of Israel. And if you read chapter 19 when you go home tonight, you'll see that he is so annoyed with watching his people worship false gods. 
He gets so annoyed by it that scripture says that he sets his heart toward God. How many of you know that if you want to see your family serving the Lord, if you want to see your friends serving the Lord, if you want to see your workplace people serving the Lord, guess who it starts with? You. Scripture says that he set his heart toward God. And then he goes and starts removing these poles of pagan worship. And then we look at 2 Chronicles 19, starting in verse 4, Scripture says, Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and turned them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So Jehoshaphat starts this entire movement, starting with himself, turning hearts back to God. But I want, what I want you to see and what I want you to go and read tonight or this week is that Jehoshaphat doesn't just stop there. Not only does he turn his heart back to God and he lead all of the people to turning their hearts back to God, he also sets in place judges. Well, why would he do that? Because he understood what Jeremiah said, that the heart above all things is deceitful, that you cannot trust your heart to always lead you in the right way. Disney got it wrong. Don't follow your heart. Those of you know, right? Any bad boy daters out there? Yeah. Uh-huh. Don't follow your heart. That is not scripture. That's Disney. And we love Disney. There's just yeah, a few things they really get wrong. Jehoshaphat understood that hearts can be really deceitful, sick, hardened, dark, and that not only did he need to continually remind the people to turn their hearts back to God, but he had to set up accountability. And for some of you, that is a gross, ugly word. Being accountable. Why? Because we were never meant to do this alone. We were never meant to walk this out by ourselves. That is why here at Church for All Nations, we push small groups like it's the biggest deal to us. Why? Because it's a big deal. It's accountability. It's walking through life together. That's why even though I would personally love to have altar time, for an hour after our study, the Holy Spirit said, no, you're going to put them in small groups. Yeah, Lord, but that can be awkward. Doesn't matter. I want them in groups, getting to know women, to find women to walk this life with. Accountability. So he led his people's hearts back to the Lord, turning them back to the Lord, and he set up accountability. I want you to look with me at Hebrews 4. 
Verse 12, I love how scripture says this because it has everything to do with why Jehoshaphat set up the accountability of the judges in the way that he did. In verse 12, it says, for the word of God, the rhema word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. There's so many sermons in there. Can you tell I'm filtering, Lord? I could, I could go on that for an hour. Joints and marrow, it judges, it judges, it exposes, it holds accountable what? The thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The rhema word of God. When you have the rhema word of God operating fully in your life, it exposes areas that need to be worked on. Accountability. Back to Second Chronicles. So there Turning to God, they've set up accountability, and I want you to see what happens. It says, after this, okay, after what? After their hearts are turned toward God, they've repented, they're setting up accountability, what happens? The Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Midianites, are you kidding right now? Came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Anytime you start setting up, anytime you start actually walking out the things of the Lord, what he's called you to, guess what's going to happen? Attack. Don't be shocked. I can't tell you the number of leaders in the last six weeks that are texting me, you won't believe what's happening. You don't, you have no clue. Yeah, I do. I do. Because guess what? When you start turning your heart to God and setting up accountability, when you allow this rhema word to start separating and doing surgery in your heart to expose those things, and you have people that want to walk this out with you, you're gonna get attacked. Nothing takes the enemy off more than that. Back to the scripture. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom on the other side of the Dead Sea. A vast army. Look at uh, verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. I want you to note that word because it doesn't say that Jehoshaphat went to the Lord and asked him to do something. He went to the Lord to find out what to do. He didn't say, Lord, smite the armies. He was seeking out that rhema word. Lord, what, what is it that you want me to do? How many of you have gone to the Lord and asked him that versus telling him what you want done? 
the rhema word of God. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Jehoshaphat needed to hear the rhema word of God. So after he had turned their hearts back to him in repentance and set up that accountability, he calls a fast. And that's the second key tonight. Fasting, turning our focus to God. Fasting. Fasting is not a popular subject, ever. It's not fun. No one's excited to do it, right? Usually it means you're having some sort of awful medical procedure. (laughs) That's a different type of fasting. But I got to tell you the first time that the Lord really started opening my heart and mind to what fasting could do. It was quite a few years ago, and I'd just gotten to that point of frustration. Maybe some of you have been there. I just started asking myself. I don't even know if I was asking the Lord. Maybe I was. But I started asking myself and the Lord, seriously, is this all there is? God, there has to be more. I am watching friends who I know believe in you just die in bondage. I am praying for best friends of mine that aren't getting healed. Lord, what is going on? Because I know your word is true. So, Where's the disconnect? And did you know that in Scripture, the disciples had a similar frustration? It's found in Matthew. Matthew 17, a man has brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples. And they have prayed over him, and nothing happened. And so the man takes his son and goes to Jesus, and he's like, your dudes prayed for my son, and he still got this demon. What's the deal? And Jesus, it's one of the the times in Scripture that Jesus seems to be the most angry. Look, starting in verse 17, Jesus answered and said, Oh, you unbelieving and perverted. And that word perverted really just means distorted. Meaning they're still not getting it. Their faith isn't there. Their understanding is mixed up. Ah, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Jesus says, bring him here to me. Bring him here to me. You want something done, you got to do it yourself. (laughs) And Jesus rebuked him and the demon came out immediately. And the boy was cured at once. Verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus and they're like, a little embarrassed. Uh, Why could we not drive it out? I mean, we did everything. We even did like a, a little dance and 
Scripture doesn't say that. (laughs) Why could we not drive it out? And Jesus said to them, because of the littleness of your chutzpah. Remember? Chutzpah. Because of the smallness of your tenacity, you're quitting. Because of the littleness of your tenacity. For truly, I say to you, if you have chutzpah just the size of a mustard seed, if you were just a little bit willing to not quit, then you could say this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. And nothing would be impossible to you. Don't you love when people try to tell you? All the Bible says nothing will be impossible. That is not what it says. Verse 21. And not every translation is going to have this verse. And that makes me want to bash my head against a wall. Because this verse is so imperative to our spiritual disciplines and our daily walk. But verse 21 says, Jesus' words, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. There's some areas of power that you simply cannot access without this spiritual discipline of fasting. Now, let me unpack to you what fasting is. Maybe you're brand new to this whole Bible thing. Fasting is not just the absence of food. So some of you, as I referenced earlier, some of you have had to do a fast maybe for a procedure or to have some lab work done and you had to go without food. Maybe you've tried the intermittent fast, which is like a fad diet now. Anybody read about that? I feel like it's on my Instagram feed all the time. Like, what are you trying to tell me right now? It's not that. Biblical fasting is taking food or something that is very important to you, removing it from your life for a time, and replacing it with something that allows you to focus on God. Fasting is not about the food. Fasting is about your focus. And I know some of you here in this room right now, you're thinking, uh, yeah, but that's, uh, that's not really for me. And I'm going to prove you wrong. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is unpacking principles of what it means to be his follower. And he walks through the entire sermon, and there's only three areas that Jesus assumes that they of course know that these areas are included. And he uses a phrase, when you. Now let me tell you, the difference between me asking my child, hey, could you clean your room? Could you wash your hands? Versus me saying, no, 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 when you clean your room, the dirty clothes go here. When you wash your hands, actually use soap. Come on, we know the wet hand trick. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, when you give. And then he goes to explain that we are to give above tithes and offerings. And some people get frustrated when we just talk about tithing. 
And then verse five, Jesus says, when you pray, because it's assumed, of course, you're going to give and you're going to pray. Those are givens. And then he explains how to pray. And that's where he gives us the Lord's prayer. And then in verse 16, he says, when you fast. And he goes on to explain that we're never to do it to be seen by others, but to only be seen by God. And yet some of you still right now are saying, but you know, it's for those really spiritual people. It's not for everyone. But I want to show you in Scripture, it's all throughout Scripture. I'm just going to show you a few areas. Because I want you to understand that fasting has always been assumed that it would be part of the spiritual disciplines of following the Lord. Always. Moses, he fasted for 40 days and then he received the Ten Commandments in Exodus 34. David fasted and prayed for his child's healing in 2 Samuel 12. King Darius fasted for the safety of Daniel and Daniel was saved in Daniel 6. Daniel fasted for an answer to prayer and after a 21-day fast, think about this, after a 21-day fast, God blessed Daniel with what Scripture says is wisdom beyond that of anyone else in the entire empire. How many of you know that was a well-served 21 days? Esther, after Haman called for the annihilation of all the Jews, Esther called for a three-day corporate fast of all the people, and God saved them, and Haman was hanged, Esther 4. Hannah, she couldn't bear a child. She wept and fasted, Scripture says. God heard her plea, and the prophet Samuel was born. That's in 1 Samuel 1. Ezra declared a holy fast, mourning over the sins of his people in Ezra 10. Elijah, Elijah fasted while escaping Jezebel, and he received a word that affected generations. 1 Kings 19. Joseph fasted while in prison and was not only released, but received great wealth and was put over all the money of Egypt. Hello. Genesis 41. Okay, Ashley, but that's all Old Testament. I mean, you know, what about the New Testament? I hear you. Paul fasted for three days after his conversion and got the assignment for his life in Acts 9. Some of you have been wondering, God, what is my assignment? Are you willing to fast to find out? Peter was fasting on a rooftop when God gave him a new revelation and called him to take the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts 10. Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus fasted for 40 days before being tempted by Satan. And only after that did God allow him to launch his public ministry. That's in Matthew 4. I got to ask you, If Jesus himself had to fast to receive his assignment from the Lord. Yeah, but he was God. Scripture says he put off his godness. Fully God, fully man. If Jesus himself had to fast to hear from the Lord on that. Who are we to think that we don't have to? What are you willing to be tenacious about? What are you willing to give up 
to truly hear the living, breathing, right now word of God because he wants to speak that to you. But some things only come through prayer and fasting. Repentance. Turning our hearts continually back to God. Fasting. Turning our focus back to God. And the last point as Amy comes back. Is thanksgiving. Turning our gratitude Back to God. After the tribe of Judah repented, after Jehoshaphat called the corporate fast, Scripture says that the Spirit of the Lord came on a man powerfully, and he stood in the assembly and he gave a Rhema word from God. Look at what it says. Second Chronicles 20, verse 15. This man, speaking from the Lord, said to the entire assembly, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow... March down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert. You will not have to fight this battle, but you will have to take up your positions. You will have to stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. I love that he says it again. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Look at Jehoshaphat's response. They've just gotten this direct rhema word from the Lord. They've turned their hearts to him. They fasted. God is speaking. And God says, this battle is mine, but you still have to walk out and show up. And for some of you, that means that yes, the Lord is taking care of the situation, but you still have to get up tomorrow and go to work. Yes, the Lord is taking care of your marriage, but you still have to go home and love Him. Yes, the Lord is bringing your child back to Him, but you still got to wake up and pray. Just because the battle is His doesn't mean He's not requiring you to show up. He's a God that wants to work in us and through us in everything He does. But what I want you to see is Jehoshaphat and the entirety of the entirety of the tribe, the way that they respond. Because it's a specific choice that I believe each and every one of us we're going to have to make. Verse 18 says Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. 
Then some Levites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Were they scared? Yeah. Are you kidding? Entire armies had already surrounded them. But what did they do in that moment? I probably, in my own flesh, would have started interceding, Lord, please, just make the battle go away. Send the battle to a different city, right? Send someone else to fight. And the Lord said, no, no, no. The battle's mine. But you still got to show up. Because he wants to partner with us. And in that understanding, what he desires most from us is praise. With that understanding, what he desires most from us is worshiping who he is, thanking him before the battle has been fought. Understand, they were worshiping him for something that they still hadn't seen. How many of you are willing to do that? How many of you are willing to make a choice the way the Levites did to stand up and to shout to God in the middle of their fear, in the middle of them not seeing it taken care of yet, and yet they chose to worship? I want you to look with me a couple more scriptures. And then we're going to close. Scripture says in verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed. Think about that for a second. The gratitude, the thanksgiving, the worship, the praise was pouring out of their hearts. But Jehoshaphat knew that once the battle started and they started seeing the armies, fighting that fear would rise up. So what does he do? He appoints men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. And what did they sing? Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And I want you to notice that as they began to sing, verse 22 says, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and all of the armies. The Lord is setting actual ambushes. In my head, it's like Hebrew ninjas, like angel ninjas. I, I don't know. But the Lord is setting ambushes while he hears their praises. And not praises necessarily of people that felt like praising. People that were appointed to praise. You are appointed to praise. You are appointed to praise. What ambushes is our God going to set on the enemy while you make a choice to praise. 
You gotta understand, there were certain individuals chosen to praise for the entirety of the people. What if God chooses you to praise for your family? What if God chooses you to praise for your work? Maybe that girl at school, maybe your friend who's going through health issues and the ambushes that God wants to set, that he desires to set will be dependent upon your decision to praise. Your decision to thank him for his goodness even when you're not yet seeing the fullness of everything he spoke to you. The rhema words that are spoken. I want you to note, if you go and read this passage tonight, we didn't have time to read all of it, but scripture is so vivid and clear that the enemies, after that initial ambush, the armies ended up fighting each other instead of ever touching Judah. So Judah's still praising, and these armies, instead of coming to attack those that are praising, they're attacking the other enemies. What in your life do you want to see gone to the point that you're willing to be thankful and worship and praise so that they start annihilating one another? So that fear annihilates anxiety, and then anxiety annihilates cancer, and then cancer annihilates divorce, and then divorce annihilates. Can you imagine? You're appointed to praise. God hasn't appointed me to praise for your family. He's appointed you. God hasn't appointed me to praise for your marriage. He's appointed you. God hasn't appointed me to praise for your children. He's appointed you. Are you willing? As I was praying over this end, the, the Lord spoke so clearly to me that there would be someone here that would be so entirely bought in. Yes, yes, Lord, I want to have my heart turned toward you. Yes, Lord, I want to be continually repentant. Yes, Lord, I am now willing to fast. I didn't realize that that was part of what I was even called to do. But yes, Lord, I'm willing to do that. Speak, Lord, your rhema word. And yes, Lord, I'm willing to be thankful. I'm willing to praise. I'm willing to do all of those things. But Lord, I just don't even know how. It feels impossible to even get there. And immediately as I had that thought the Lord said remind them of David you got to understand David is the only human in scripture that God said was after his heart God said that one's after me and when I think about David I think about the fact that yes he fasted of course he screwed up a lot too <laughs> he fasted you're talking about the dude that wrote most of the praise songs in the entire Bible. 
And he's one that continually asks the Lord, search me, search my heart. Lord, if there's any, any wrong way within me, God, search me. That's a continual prayer that he has. But the Lord, and this is for someone tonight, and it may not be for everyone. I heard very clearly that the Lord said, unpack the end of the 23rd Psalm for them. Because the entirety of the process is right here. In a very condensed version, and it's written by David. And if you know anything about the 23rd Psalm, it's a whole picture. David as a shepherd, saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Most of you guys know this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. One day I'll teach you what all that is talking about. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you're with me. And here's what I want you to see. Every single part of that, every single part of that, those are vivid pictures of shepherding. Vivid shepherding terms. And then it goes into your rod and staff comfort me. Still a vivid shepherd term. And then it says you prepare a table before me. How many of you have ever seen a sheep eaten at a table? Anybody? And so about a year ago, I started digging into that. Lord, this doesn't make sense. Why would every other part of it be shepherding and then you transition? Let me tell you what I found. It's incredible. And I've never heard it taught before. But your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I need to unpack that for you briefly because some of you are scared to have God search your heart. Some of you are terrified to have God close enough for you to even hear him because you think his rod and staff are gonna beat you. You think they're there to punish you, and they're not. In fact, a good shepherd would never hit his sheep. The rod, let's start with the staff. The staff was used to pull the sheep close. But let me tell you what the rod was used for. The rod was used to beat off the enemy. We know that. But this is something I learned this year. The rod... When, you, when the sheep will allow the shepherd to get close and intimate, the rod is used to put inside the sheep's wool to look deeper inside of what's going on. And in those moments, the shepherd is able to inspect if there are parasites or things that are keeping the sheep from being as healthy as they can be. Keep the scripture back up. Because it goes directly into the next passage. They comfort me. And then verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know what I found? There's part of shepherding in the Middle East where when they take the sheep to the highest place, the most extravagant eating, the, the most grandiose territory is a plateau. 
It's called a mesa or a table. And David is saying in this moment, when I let you close, you prepare that next level for me while the armies are surrounding. You prepare that next level for me while the enemy is watching when I let you close. You anoint my head with oil. We think that has to do with the Holy Spirit, and it does, but I want to show you the shepherd picture there. When a sheep has a parasite that is inside that no one but the shepherd that is let close can see, guess how that parasite is ridded off of the sheep's wool? A mixture of linseed oil and olive oil. Come on. You anoint my head with oil. You see those inner places. You see what's going on that nobody else knows and you are willing to heal them. You're willing to rid me of the stuff that nobody else can even see. And when I allow you to do that, my cup runs over. I start to see how much you love me. I start to see how much you're willing to do for me. I start to get a picture of just how thankful I should be when I let you close. It's powerful. And then he ends the whole passage with surely your goodness and love will follow me. Underline that follow me because that is not what it says in the original language. In the original language it says, your goodness and your love chase me. That's how much he loves you. He chases you. I can't let him close because I won't get it right all the time. He knows and he's prepared to chase you if you will let him close. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want to give you an opportunity to at least start practicing two of those disciplines. I've got to tell you, my life was forever changed praying at altars. In meetings like this, where I received the assignment God had for my life, where I received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the prayer language that he gave me. All of those things happened while I was at an altar, willing to just lay myself out before the Lord. So tonight the band's gonna come back. And last Tuesday night when I got home, the Lord has something about showing me pictures. When I climb into bed, exhausted from Tuesday in the best way possible. He showed me that tonight, if we are willing to get before Him and ask Him, search me, Lord. Search, search my heart. Come close, Lord. I want to hear your voice. Search me. To be willing to purge from our lives. Not things that will determine whether we're saved or not. No, Jesus took care of that. 
things that will determine whether you're able to walk in the fullness that He's calling you to. Some of you will get revelations of things from the Holy Spirit while you are here at this altar tonight and you will go home tonight and start throwing things out. I don't know what they are. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. I am not called to be your Holy Spirit. There may be relationships that the Lord says, no more, no more, you're done. You're done with that. It's time to move forward. Allow Him with that rod to part the wool and start to see the nature of the inside so that He can anoint you, start to heal you. Those places, you know, did you know that sheep in the Middle East especially, if they get this one specific parasite that this passage is talking about, they have been known to literally run themselves off of a cliff because they, they cannot deal with the inner torment. That's some of you here tonight. Some of them literally die from ramming their heads against rocks because they're trying to rid themselves of those parasites. The Holy Spirit says, you let me close. I will anoint your head with oil because your cup runs over. The way I love you is so abundant. I chase you, I will chase you. That's how much my love, how much my love is for you. How extravagant it is. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna bow our heads. I'm gonna pray. And then I just want you to come to the altars. And when I say altars, these are symbolic altars of the inner place of the Lord, literally symbolizing, God, you have taken care of everything to allow me to boldly approach you. I don't have to go through anyone. I don't have to slaughter any sort of animal. I can rush straight to you. So we're going to pray. And then we're going to just spend time in his presence, crying out to him. He knows what's going on. He knows exactly what you need. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your living breathing right now words, God, that you're already speaking to your daughters. Lord, as we take a few moments to just kneel before you, God, I ask that you would speak so clearly. Lord, maybe, you've, maybe you're gonna cause us to just be quiet for a few minutes and listen. Maybe, Lord, some of us need to pour our hearts out to you things that we haven't confessed to you, things that we haven't repented of. Lord, maybe some of us just need to stop and thank you. Thank you for what you've already done and thank you for things that you've promised us but we still haven't seen. Lord, whatever it is, I ask that you just speak so clearly to us. Remove the interference, God, so that we can hear you better. Let us feel your presence in a new and fresh way tonight. I ask that you do it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's come to the altars. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. 
For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.